0: When Erica was 15, she wrote down her life story. And she started at the very beginning.
1: I was born on October 29th, 1985, and was I ever cute? Happy face. I was two weeks late, and my feet were about to come out before my head, so my mom had to have a cesarean. I wonder what Freud would have to say about that. Happy face.
0: That's Erica, reading from the memoir she wrote at 15. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> this is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Montreal, we have a story about really, really, really wanting to dye your hair, a mock UN resolution, scathing criticism of the pop art movement of the 1960s, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and, like Freudian analysis, it's fun to think about what it all really means. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around.
2: Support for this podcast comes from CDWNHP. At CDW, we get that an unsecured laptop can put your company's data at risk, making you a little paranoid.
0: I'm not paranoid. You're paranoid.
2: CDW can implement a secure mobility solution using the HP EliteBook with Intel 8th generation processors and SureView privacy to protect your screen from prying eyes. Did you follow me here? IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash HP security.
0: What was that? We hear a lot of diary entries and poetry and short stories at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, but what we don't hear a lot of is art criticism. So, at our Montreal show, when I asked the question, Are there folks in the room who are familiar with the artwork of Kleiss Oldenburg? <laughs> <laughs> okay. When I asked that question, I wasn't surprised that at least a couple people in the room didn't know who I was talking about. If you are not familiar with Kleis Oldenburg, he was an influential part of the pop art movement of the 1960s. He's probably best known for his sculpture, much of which features very large, oversized replicas of everyday objects like spoons or clothespins or hamburgers. Why am I telling you about Kleis Oldenburg? Well, it's because when our next reader, Paul, was 13, he enrolled in an art class where he studied Kleis Oldenburg and pop art. But Paul was not a big fan of this type of art. And we are going to hear his withering 13-year-old takedown of Kleis Oldenburg and the entire pop art movement. <laughs> Please welcome Paul to the Grown-Ups Three Things They Wrote As Kids stage.
3: Conclusions on pop art. Pop art has become widely known in the 1960s. It was a totally different art movement due to the fact that it was not truly art. (laughs) The art form utilizes common everyday objects to form a basis for its satirical, lifeless themes. Talent is not a prerequisite for an alleged artist who wishes to join the pop movement. (laughs) Pop art is, in essence, a form in which works that do not belong to any definitive art form falls into. Except for the very few creations of artists who shouldn't even be called pop, this art form lacks any real theme, nor does it serve any real purpose. Evident by the bland subjects and poor composition, pop art is extremely American. Can one honestly call himself an artist putting forth such works as 25 identical faces of Marilyn Monroe in one canvas, or a painting entitled, Alka-Seltzer, The Most Beautiful Boy in the World? At this point in life, I find it very plausible that in a thousand years, archaeologists will dig up garbage and think it art, or just as easily dig up art and think it garbage. (laughs) I then move on to the subject of my essay, who is Claes Oldenburg. Claes Oldenburg, an old (laughs) softy. Claes Oldenburg is much enjoyed by modern art enthusiasts. His art consists of huge, soft groceries and little thought. Oldenburg's masterpieces consist of six foot high soft cake slices, six foot diameter soft hamburgers, soft BLTs, and a composition which contains a three-foot-long soft popsicle, another soft hamburger, and a two-foot-diameter soft price tag. But occasionally, Oldenburg branches out and makes soft typewriters, soft pants, soft calendars, and soft light switches. Ironically, critics call him a hardcore pop artist. (laughs) Oldenburg furthered his career in nutrition by replacing all real food items in a grocery store for plaster ones. This particular pop artist seems to have a strong fetish for food, and as is evident by a photograph of him, he is thus rather plump. (laughs) He is said to have the gift of discerning art in its lowest forms of matter, dust, dirt, and garbage. If that is soul, Oldenburg's self-esteem must be tremendous. After reading about him in many different books, I now believe that the lowest form of matter sits in Oldenburg's studio chair. (laughs) (laughs) It is my belief that art is a thing of beauty and meaning, and an artist is one who creates a thing of beauty and meaning. But in my examination of modern art, I find nothing of beauty, nothing of discernible meaning, Nothing that I consider art. It is for that reason that I passionately dislike Oldenburg and his works. Oldenburg's art will never outlive him, and he'll never leave anything behind of beauty when he dies. (laughs) Oldenburg is not a true artist, but one who pretends to be through shallow, foolish works. Thank you.
0: Sick burn, bro! (laughs) A lot of what we hear on stage is funny. Some of it's ha-ha funny, some of it's weird funny, some of it's awkward funny, but some of it's not funny at all. We also hear about some of the darker or the more difficult parts of growing up. When Erica was a teenager, she was dealing with a lot of body image issues and perfectionism. And when she was 15, she was diagnosed with an eating disorder. It took a toll on her physically and mentally, and it led to her being hospitalized for a couple of weeks. On our Montreal show, Erica shared some writing from that time in her life.
1: August 10th, 2000. Everything is about being skinny. It never happens. I'm a wreck. I feel so alone in the world. Nobody knows me. I'm so horrible. I don't feel like one person. People say they love me, but they don't know me, and you can't love someone you don't know, and you couldn't love me if you did know me. I don't know what's real. I just want to cry and cry, and I want someone to tell me it's okay, I love you, and you're not gonna have to be like this anymore. Everything will be perfect soon. I feel so fat and lonely. I don't know what I want except perfection. Sometimes I feel like crawling into a hole and staying there forever. I keep thinking I want to go home and I'm already there. If it's meant to me, it's, it's meant to be, it's up to me. One of the night nurse, nurses at the hospital kept telling me this over and over as she took my blood pressure. It rhymes and sounds cheesy, but it's actually fairly powerful. All this time I was crying to, for help, hoping that someone would save me, but it's not going to happen and then everything would be perfect. I was waiting for this revelation, but it's not going to happen, and everything's never going to be perfect. Good enough. It's hard to know why life has been such a battle for me. I guess this kind of thing can happen to anyone. From the beginning, I just thought that I was supposed to be the best. It's a hard thing to live up to. I needed to be the center of attention, to be good at everything. I don't know why or how I developed such high expectations of myself. When I look back on the path I took, I cringe and feel so ashamed. I hate the person I became. Sometimes I wish I could go back and choose a different path, but I can't. I have to have faith that what I went through happened for a reason. I know that I've grown up so much and I'm so much stronger because of it. I still have a long way to go, but life isn't going to be this hard forever. Deep down, I realize that I'm not such a horrible person and someday I won't wish I was someone else. I have hundreds of things going for me and my whole life to look forward to. My life is worth so much. It would be a shame to waste it trying to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect. I'm good enough the way I am. We all are. Thank you.
0: Erica, one more time. After the show, I asked Erica if you could go back in time and talk to your teenage self. What would you say?
4: I guess I would say to myself, you know, don't don't lose that hope. Um, stay brave. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Uh, but also, you know, even that even if you continue to struggle, and I did continue to struggle for a really long time with the eating disorder and other other challenges, um, but that struggle doesn't define you and in your life you're going to have a lot of meaningful beautiful experiences and you're going to make wonderful connections and uh, all those things count despite despite your struggle and and uh, that's what that the eating disorder and you know suicidal thoughts depression anxiety that that's not what counts that doesn't hold as much weight um, and it's really the experiences you have uh, that will override uh, the voice in your head that, thinks you're a broken disaster and that uh, your life is a series of mistakes.
0: When Nisha was seven, she wrote a short story called The Miracle. And before the show, she told me this is based on a true story. It's based on true events. Live on stage in Montreal, here's Nisha.
2: My brother Simon has a cat. Her name is Lollipop. One day, for the first time, she went into heat. She fell in love with everything in sight. (laughs) My dad got so fed up with her, I can't stand that cat. I hate the noise she makes. Get out of here! Get out now! He yelled. He walked outside, put the cat down, and slammed the door so loud all the plastic mixing bowls fell off the shelf. (laughs) Why did you do that? said Mom. Now she's going to go out, find a boy cat, and get pregnant. Oh no, he shouted. Get back here, lollipop. Come back. Grr, grr. Come here now. <laughs> the next morning, she came home fine. She wasn't even in heat anymore. <laughs> but she was hungry for food, though. She is always hungry for food. That's about all she cares about. Meow, ow. That means give me food, meow. <laughs> "'Oh, shut up, you cat!' shouted my dad. (laughs) My dad hates cats. (laughs) After a few months, Lollipop became unreasonably fat. (laughs) "'Is that cat eating a lot?' asked my dad. "'No,' we chorused. "'No, Dad.' "'I told you she would get pregnant,' whispered Mom." Well, a few weeks later, I was reading a book with Fat Cat beside me when I heard the weirdest sound I have ever heard. It turned out it was Lollipop having babies. (laughs) What are you doing to that cat, Nisha? Nothing, I said. Too interested in the little orange figure that was coming from Lollipop? It looked so horrible to have babies, and I think she thought so too. Since it was the first litter of kittens, everyone was getting so excited and hyper. Well, let's put the kittens in Nisha's room because she likes animals. No, wait. Little sister Effie will hurt them in the night. Let's put them in the laundry room. No, wait. Mommy might step on them while she's doing the laundry. Wait. Why don't we put them in Simon's room because it's his cat? My dad was so confused. So that's the way it turned out. The kittens would stay in Simon's room. Well, for a while, that is. That night, At 6 o'clock, all of the kittens had been born, or so we thought. Yeah, there was only one kitten that survived. It was very discouraging to have all the kittens die except for one. We knew that all of the kittens that had been born were all of the kittens that would be born because kittens are all born on the same day. Boy, were we in for a surprise. (laughs) Three days later, at 11 o'clock p.m., my mom woke me up and brought me into Simon's room. I was afraid our only kitten had died. I was off by a long shot. There, when I peeked in, were two little white figures in the dark shine of the low-batteried flashlight. (laughs) Another kitten, I said, yawning but too interested and excited to sleep. Yes, another kitten, whispered my mom. After six weeks, the kittens were huge. The fluffy kitten seemed bigger, but she actually wasn't. (laughs) That day I was pulling Effie on a sled and she fell off and hit her head. (laughs) She started to cry and I had to go to my room and go to bed early, the end.
0: Keep it going for Nisha, Montreal.
3: jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time, and in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.
0: When Sarah and I was fourteen, she participated in Model UN, and at our Montreal show, she brought a piece of writing that she wrote on her own time, just for fun that takes the form of a U.N. resolution. Now, on the surface, this may sound like it's about world affairs, but in reality, Sarah and I told me it was all about the trouble she was going through at the time. Live on stage in Montreal, here's Sarah and I.
5: Submitted by the Great Kingdom of Sarah and I (laughs) to the General Council of Self-Improvement. Appreciating the action of the Great Kingdom of Saranai on self development so far. Believing that referring to her country as the Great Kingdom of Saranai is a big and effective step towards our goal. Further believing that our recent actions and other projects haven't been efficient enough. Alarmed by the fact that the Great Kingdom of Saranai, hereby referred to as she, needs urgent help in her path upon a better country. Acknowledging that it is impossible to change everything at once. Observing that the good parts of her body are in majority, in parenthesis 10 to 5, (laughs) against the bad parts. (laughs) Adding that her personality rocks with a majority of good qualities, in parenthesis 8 to 6. Detecting that her skin, her belly, her ass, and upper parts of her legs should urgently be fixed. (laughs) But her eyes will only need makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Further detecting that as the main aim of this resolution, her self-esteem issues, pessimistic ways, and weird actions should be stopped. Number one, asks for the formation of a new law Cold, the continuity of the new diet program and upcoming sports activities that will (laughs) A, never let her give up on her diet B, buy a scale C, try all possible sports activities including I, dancing I, I, jogging I, 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 swimming D, have judging juries consisting of I, the republic of mom and the republic of grandma in daily meetings. (laughs) I, I, the republic of dad in annual
6: meetings.
5: (laughs) Number two, further asks for the daily practices that will be held by herself to A, stop herself from gossiping too much. B, give up on insulting herself. C. Try to calm herself down. Number three. Suggests a secret hidden public awareness campaign called, I love myself, why don't you love me, I rock. <laughs> that will. A. Be based on making people admire her for her attitude and character. B. Include some role models, changes of attitude, and increase in self-respect. Number four. Further suggests to develop a character that will be A, not too naive but tough, B, smart enough to solve her own problems. Number five, asks to purchase self development books as soon as possible. (laughs) Number six, hopes that this resolution will help her on her new way, which is not desperate anymore. Thank you.
0: Sarah and I, that was so, so good. A popular way for kids to express themselves is through their outward appearance, trying on a new style of clothing, wearing makeup, changing a hairstyle... I remember when I was in junior high, I really, really wanted to dye my hair. And not because I didn't like the natural color of my hair. I just wanted to try something new, try something different. When our next reader, Jeff, was 13, he wrote a short story called The Girl That Craved Red. This is a work of fiction. It's kind of violent. And it's all about a young girl who, kind of like me in junior high, wanted to dye her hair. Live on stage in Montreal, here's Jeff.
6: The girl that craved red. Janie would go to any length to get red hair. She loved it. Red was her favorite color. She had a red school bag, a red bedspread, and extremely ugly red jeans. (laughs) The only obstacle in her path to getting red hair was her vicious, stubborn mother. Janie hated her mother. She was a very sweet lady, always thinking of her three children, but she threatened to eat Janie's pet armadillo, Coolidge, if she got red hair. And Coolidge was the only thing in life Janie loved more than the stunning color red. Janie had tried to run away uh, seven times with Coolidge, but each time she was almost out of town, she curiously ran into her uncle jogging on the street. He made her return home. Janie had an insane idea to take out her mother and make it look like an accident. She was to slit her mother's wrists and make it look like a shaving accident. (laughs) It wouldn't be unusual for Janie's mother to shave her arms because she had a putrid bush of hair on her arms. This plan excited Janie when she thought of all the lovely red blood. The long-awaited day of execution finally arrived and Janie was very hyped to kill her mommy. She raced to her mother's bathroom to grab a razor when she noticed that there were no razors left. Janie got very aggravated, but then remembered the gun she had borrowed from her boyfriend, Gregory, for just such an occasion. She sped to her room and grabbed the gun just as she heard her mother coming through the door. Janie sprinted down the 16 stairs and greeted her mother with a cocked gun in her face. Her mother whispered to herself, oh my God, Janie's got a gun. She then announced to her daughter, honey, there's no need to resort to violence. I'll let you dye your hair red, I promise. Janie ecstatically threw the gun to the floor and said, thank you, mommy, you're the greatest. I'm I'm sorry I threatened your life. I just love red. Of course I'll let you dye your hair red, explained her mother peacefully as she picked up the gun and threw it out the window. (laughs) But I'll still eat your ugly armadillo. (laughs) Ah! Janie was devastated. She had her mother's life and a chance at red tresses on the tip of her fingers, but she threw it all away, only to be humiliated once again. (laughs) Janie went into a deep depression. She thought that there was no way to beat her mother and that red hair was just a faraway dream of hers. For weeks, she moped around her suburban house, sad and dismal that she would never get to see red hair in her life. Just when she was at one of her most pathetic moments, reading the instruction booklets to her brother's Super Nintendo games, (laughs) her mother walked in wearing an elegant purple long sleeve blouse. Janie barked at her, Get out of here, you beast! I hate you! (laughs) Despite her daughter's disrespectful remark, Janie's mom leaned over to Janie's melancholy face and said softly, Honey, I'll never let you dye your hair red, but I hope this makes up for it. Before Janie had time to become confused, her mom rolled up her thin sleeves, exposing the red hair on her arms. Janie was very surprised and happy at her mother's kind gesture. She accepted her mom's limitations and loved what she had done for Janie. Janie leaned over, gave her mom a big kiss, and sobbed, I love you, Mom. Thank you. That was
0: very violent. If you know the music, you know the podcast, you know what the music means. That has been Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids, Montreal. Huge round of applause for all of the readers. So, so good. Thank you to everybody who came to listen. Thank you to Sylvan for doing sound tonight. Thank you to Ainsley at the door. Thank you to everybody at La Salarosa. Thank you to my wife, Jenna. Thank you to me, Dan Meisner. Stick around, say hello, get home safe, and then dig up your own kid writing. We'll see you soon, Montreal. Bye.
3: totally different art movement due to the fact that it was not truly art.